know what that means? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of Anglophies, where we're um, pulling swords from stones and there are moistened bents distributing scimitars as a representative form of government, which sounds really fucking good right now. Let me tell you, Internet. Hi, I'm Raiden. Is it scimitar or scimitar? I don't know. Hi, I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. We're talking about King Arthur. In the Knights of the Round Table. Or maybe it's a dance floor. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Someone wrote that line. Oh my god. Somebody wrote that line. Yeah. I was so excited. Oh man. I, I was so excited for this movie. I'm not even going to pretend that I wasn't revved up for this movie. Even though I knew on some level that it was going to be at least train wreck adjacent. Yep. yep. And it was. But no regrets. Every time I read a review, or no, it wasn't even the reviews, it was just every time I kept reading the tracking records for the box office. Yeah. People have stopped appreciating fun. <laughs> you know what? I'm already still salty at the world because I'm not getting my Man from Uncle sequel. Mm-hmm. But, like, $15 million opening weekend after a $150 million budget is... It's not great, guys. <laughs> it's not great, Bob. Why do you hate... <laughs> Fun people. <sighs> For those of you who didn't see King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which, going by demographics, was about 95% of you all, of you. <laughs> um, is the latest movie from Guy Ritchie, who is much better than you think he is. And it's it was intended to be the beginning of a six-movie epic about the Arthurian legends, starring Charlie sure. Hunnam as King Arthur, and also featuring Jamin Unsu, Aidan Gillen, and Jude Law, who is young, popping it up to the nines. If I don't get my six movies serious out of this, I blame each and every one of you who didn't go see it. Personally responsible for <laughs> depriving me. I, I just want a Mad Uncle sequel, you I guys. I think you should prepare yourself, Alina, because I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, look, I had a lot of fun at this movie. I reviewed it over at Smart Bitches. And I said, look, this is this is not objectively good, and Charlie Hunnam does not spend nearly enough time with a shirt off as really this movie required. Oh, agreed, agreed, yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, that that's a crime against humanity, basically. Um, Especially given how much he had to work out for this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was there was some dodgy accent things happening. Some Which very... is also weird because Charlie Hunnam is actually English. He's actually English, but he's not that particular. That, no. I mean, that wasn't his actual accent. But no, he's from Newcastle. Of, there was a couple of times where he sort of slid into his Pacific Rim accent, which was weird. He has a very weird, like, Jordy American accent now. He was on the Graham Norton show with Guy Ritchie, and my mom was so confused by his voice because my mom has a big crush on him from Sons of Anarchy. 
That's fair. And there's also there's a part of her that's still really sad that he didn't get to be in Fifty Shades of Grey. Not because she likes those movies, but because she's appreciative of things that they offer. Okay, but she wouldn't have been able to see his dick anyway, so... That is true. But she's seen Queer as Folk, and he's, like, really dirty in that. But he's also, like, 19, so... Hmm. It's a bit different. I will say, I did enjoy this movie. I didn't like it as much as, like, Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes movies. I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as Man from Uncle, which I'm, I will I will go to the grave better <laughs> that I didn't give a sequel and all these things. Um, a lot of this, to me, to me, felt like like studio notes. Mm-hmm. So when the movie is being very Guy Ritchie... It's great. It's great fun. Like, there's a scene where we meet Arthur with, like, some of his pals, and they're, like, just basically being, like, small-time grifters beating up the Vikings and stuff. And that is played out like the scene from like a gangster movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a cockney gangster moment. It's a quick editing. It's this snappy dialogue. It's this guy who's clearly having way too much fun doing this. Mm-hmm. And I had great fun with that. But then when it's like, you must fight your destiny through this really dark lit forest area. I was just like, okay. Okay, sure. Jude, honestly, Jude Law was like the weakest part of the movie. Oh no, I enjoyed his me. like ham. I enjoyed that ham. Hmm. But I, I feel like there's so much of this. There, there, there's a script somewhere that's about twice the length of this. Yes. Yeah, and some of the script leftovers were really uh, weird. Like the female lead is uh, doesn't get a name. Her, she is the mage. But Wikipedia implications are that in the original draft, she was Guinevere. Well, she was announced as such when she was cast. Yeah. Yeah, and then but they never name her as Guinevere, and I kind of wonder if that's like obviously her role has nothing of any. Guinevere's accoutrements in the language. She's not the daughter of a king. She she's not the daughter of the man who brings the round table in or any of that. So I wonder if they left it in the in the thoughts that if there were sequels, they weren't locked into having that actress or that character or anything. May or they were just saving that particular subplot for a sequel. To be fair, I greatly enjoyed the lack of shoehorned romance. That's one of the oh, yeah old adventure tropes I can do without. But otherwise, this movie really made me feel like we used to have movies which didn't necessarily want to make sense. They wanted to have you have fun. And this movie reminded me of that, of that time when we could just have big sweeping Conan movies, which made no sense, but they were fun. For this reason, I despise the Tom Cruise mummy already. Yes. Judge all of you who are looking forward to it because the 90s mummy was perfect. I mean, I'm going to go see it, but I'm always going to be in the hope that it's just going to be like that IMAX trailer. <laughs> like, no music, no music, no sound effects. <laughs> yeah, no music, no sound effects, just like Tom Cruise screaming. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I want that movie to hurry up and open and, and crash so that I can never see anything about it again. But I really do want my Russell Crowe Jekyll and Hyde. I feel like Russell Crowe is going to give his all there. Yeah. Like, he's not going to fuck around. He knows what you want, and he's going to give you it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just need his movie to happen. I don't care about the rest of the, the Universal Extended Monster Universe nonsense. I just well, they my- just announced that um, Javier Bardem is going to be playing Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. I can't remember which one. They didn't seem that sure either. Mm-hmm. Which I would be interested to see how that plays into the scattergraph ratio of bad hair to good movie that is Javier Bardem's career. But indeed. I also, yeah. world, would like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, but just take out Johnny Depp. 
I don't care whether you excise his scenes or you just digitally erase him. <laughs> I don't care. I just don't want it. But I, I do kind of want to see Javier Bardem having fun with all that nonsense. Did anyone notice the first two trailers for that film that they released? The first one doesn't have Johnny Depp in it at all. Yep. The second one only has Johnny Depp with one line at the very end. Yep. He appears more in the third one, but to me that felt like Disney kind of treading the waters. Yep. I, I wrote about this on ScreenRant.com and you can check it out. But I am really fascinated to see how that does, because I think the China box office for that is pretty locked down. They have spent too much time and money promoting it there for it to, to kind of sink. Apparently China. China's got ghosts. Well, they can call that something else. Okay. They don't have to call it a ghost. Um, but no, they actually held the world premiere for the film in Shanghai. Oh, okay. No, it was in Beijing, but the, at Shanghai Disneyland, which opened last year, they have a Pirates of the Caribbean ride, which is completely unique to them. You know, no one else in the world has this version of the ride. Everyone else gets the one that was the, you know, the origin for the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, they've, you know, apparently those movies do really well there. So they're hoping it'll bank. But this movie cost $320 million. You know, Hollywood, if you have a spare million lying around, you can just toss it my way. I will put it to good use, I promise. You mean you're not going to buy private islands and people to whisper in your ear? And No, no, I will throw a grand music festival on a private island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the callbacks are coming here. I love it. <laughs> Just sorry, back to the, the pirate thing just for a second. My favorite thing about the um, if you haven't read the Hollywood Reporter case about Johnny Depp's out of control spending, uh, there's a line where he claimed to the people he's suing who used to look after his money who are suing him back that $20,000 a month on wine was a great investment. Their response was, It's not an investment if you just drink it. <laughs> That's true, which is like a great accountancy burn, and I appreciated it. But yeah, I kind of want that movie to sing because, you know, fuck you. What I'm done. Also, also, I know I said back to King Arthur, but <laughs> we just saw last night that they're planning on rebooting rebooting Resident Evil for some reason. Why? Uh, Didn't the most movie of that just come out like two months ago? Yeah, but I think if they want to reboot it to be like the games, that probably wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea. It still feels too soon, but like. The games and the books are, the films are just, you know, apples and oranges. Was that franchise still a thing? Oh, yeah. It was basically the reason Mia Jovovich keeps working. And her husband. Mm. I think they consider them like second honeymoons. <laughs> second, third, fourth. I think they're up to six by the time it finished. Yeah, right. I don't know. I've never actually seen any of them. So anyway, back to King Arthur. Right. <laughs> 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 Well, I guess I'll, I'll talk about this movie a little bit for the ones who haven't seen it. Uh, also, we'll link to... Which is uh, all of you, apparently. Raiden's review on Smart Bitches. And, I don't know, the comments on that one made me a little sad. There was a lot of, oh, well, I'm a big fan of those books or that version of the language of that movie. And it seems like, oh, this would have been a waste of time. No, no, it wouldn't. Look, it's not faithful to any version of the legend ever. It's not. But at this point, what's the harm of one more edition? When was the last time you had anything that was faithful to any version of this leg- legend? Not Merlin the TV series, not Merlin the the new one, not Merlin the miniseries, the old one with Helena Bonham Carter and Sam Neill, not the 2004 King Arthur film, not the Last Night, Last Legion, First Night 
Sword in the Stone, <laughs> Camelot, just one, two, three, and five. And not Transformer, the what? What's the new Transformers movie that is still also King first Arthur night, Avengers. last night, last king, first king, king that was promised, right. king of the hill, whatever. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes, <laughs> the most faithful of them all, surely. And, I mean, I say that, and we laugh, but it's it kind of is though. Yeah. So this, the funny thing about the this one, the King Arthur Legend of the Sword, is that it's called King Arthur, and it has no Merlin in it. He's mentioned and shown in silhouette. Mm-hmm. But the story that it took the most from appears to be the Merlin one, the one where Vortigern calls the baby Merlin to tell him why his tower keeps falling, and baby Merlin discovers, like, two dragons fighting under it or whatever. There's no baby dragons. There's there's a humongous snake. Uh, but there is a tower. There's elephants. There's gigantic fucking elephants. Oh yeah, we were very Lord of the Ringsing it up. Yeah, my sister did turn to me and do the the her face when we were watching that. I was like, why are there elephants? And then later what? on, she said, why are there snakes? There's Arvana, and there's Katie. McGough. That was a surprise. I didn't know he was in that. No, no, but like there are all these people, and I was like, they're in that because Katie McGrath is in this for approximately thirty five seconds. Yep, she gets four lines and then she's killed. For someone who played Morgan Le Fay in the, the 2008 Merlin miniseries, like YA type one, I don't know, maybe she said, okay, I'll be in it, but I don't that want to do anything. That was not a miniseries, that went on for five seasons. Sorry, you're right, TV series. I was, uh, my eyes are crossing, because I've got all the tabs open of all the adaptations we're going to mention. <laughs> I've got the two Merlin side by side. Yeah, so she's in this, and I was like, hey, Katie McGrath, and I was like, oh, Katie McGrath. Yeah. Yes. Dear Hollywood... Please stop giving Katie McGrath a bit part and then killing her horribly. Please and thank you. Uh, there's a lot of recognizable faces if you watch various uh, historical TV shows. So Katie McGrath plays Vortigern's wife and their daughter is played by an actress who's currently on the show um, The Last Kingdom as Ethelflaed. There's Annabelle Wallace as Maggie who is God knows who, a maid, a something. What was she... Like, you know that part I was I thought that that somebody. was, like, the second wife. I know, right? Like... Yeah, no, she is, like, the liaison to the noble families of England or something. That was poorly established. <laughs> it was... It, she, she, she's, she's there as a script artifact? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I Wasn't she uh, Jane Seymour in The Tudors? I believe she mm-hmm. was one of the Jane Seymours. She was the Jane Seymour that stuck. Right. There's David Beckham, and the camera is like, look, look, David Beckham! It's David Beckham! Well, can I just say, he's not good, but everyone was talking about this as being, like, Razzie material. He is in, like, 40 seconds. He is there because Guy Ritchie is his friend. Yeah. Like, he's, I did, like, Guy Ritchie's, like, two-second cameo. I, didn't, I don't know him well enough. I didn't even second. notice it. He was, uh, you know, when they go to the... They're going to originally assassin the king with the arrow... And yeah. they go to the guy's house and like, how would you like to help us and assassinate the king? And then oh, he kind yeah. of, they cut to the guy and he does this sort of hand action of, ah, <laughs> that's Guy Ritchie. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know what? For all the, the uh, I guess, the razziness this movie gets, hey, at least we're not pretending that white people were the only Europeans that existed in fantasy I did Europe. like that. Yeah. That, that was nice. Yeah. Why was there a Kung Fu studio in the middle of Londinium, though? Why was his name Chinese George? <laughs> Sure. These are all good questions. 
we don't know and neither do you. <laughs> I did really kind of appreciate the fact that while they were not like this is a very specific time and place, they did kind of go for this is post post Roman Britain. Here is the crumbling remains of what the Romans left behind when they pieced out. Speaking of that, for those who do watch The Last Kingdom, it does appear that they're using those same kind of post-Roman Londinium sets. So that was weird to see kind of in a row. Oh. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a specific set that everybody just gets to use for. Here is a vaguely crumbling, vaguely Roman-looking whatever for your medieval London. Hmm. Can we talk about how this film does women yes it's so like okay so your setup is arthur is saved from death and lives in a brothel which okay fine it's i'm with the, you the arthur grows up montage is actually really very clever i like really that well done like that's guy yeah. richie moment just let him do that but there's a moment where he goes to the vikings to receive like you know, basically revenge slash compensation for them attacking one of the women who works there. But he, he there, there's a moment where she's sort of treated as like this great important figure who was so crucial in his life. It was like, was she introduced already? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of fridging in this movie. Yep. A lot. A lot. Uh, you have a character who doesn't even get a name, who is actually a pretty good character because her entire plot is basically, I'm sick to death of all these men, I have to deal with this shit, and also I'm a snake. <laughs> I like that. And I, I liked at the end when he is king and he has a court, all of the women in his court were women from the brothel. Mm-hmm. The most powerful women in, in the country are now, you know, former prostitutes. I thought that was really interesting. But then you had, like, Vortigern's not just the wife, like, who is killed off almost immediately, but then the daughter, spoiler alert, the same thing happens to her. He, you know, basically makes the sacrifice to yep, get power. You have power. to sacrifice to love one in order to get the magic power to rule England or something. Speaking of which, is, is this a Disney movie? Because he sacrifices them to literally Ursula. No, it's Warner Brothers, but I will say that, like, my sister was really excited by, like, the Ursula character. <laughs> my sister was like, yep, that would be me. I thought that was actually cool. I really liked, I think they're supposed to be, like, the... I don't know, because I originally thought, oh, is this, like, their version of Lady of the Lake? And it's, no, this is just, like, the baddies. No. Yeah, this, like, a variation on the fates, but their name is Siren and Sirena and something else. Dead names. Okay. It did, well, yeah, it's all there in the credits. But that was—I mean, I like—I thought that was really cool. But it was also a case of like, oh, the fat woman's the hideous evil monster. Okay, I get what you're doing. And then she's got the two glamorous, like, naked women swimming around. I just okay. It was just that was it was so confusing because one of the things that I really liked about uh, *Man from Uncle* is it has two really fantastic leading female characters. Hmm. Or even to an extent, the King Arthur Holmes. I think not the King Arthur Holmes. The Sherlock Holmes one. I think suffer a little bit yeah. from similar issues, like particularly issues that you see in a lot of of, of King Arthur. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm confusing them all, but you see in a lot of Sherlock Holmes adaptations. Yeah. But it bothered me less than it did here because I don't know if Guy Ritchie understands that like women really like his films. Like I don't think he understands how many women really like the Sherlock Holmes movies and the Man from Uncle movie. Yeah. But I think he sees his films as being films for the lads when really it's like, no, you need all of these men to be shirtless. You need the camera to linger a lot longer. 
Mm-hmm. And you'd have a lot more women who actually have names and parts in the story to do. And then, like, we would have probably come out in better draws. Oh, and you need yeah. to turn the colour palette up, like, two degrees. Yeah. This is not, not as accurate. Not a lot. Just, just a little. Just a little. Because another Disney thing was, like, the motherless trope. Like, so all the moms die, like, in the, like I said, in the first 35 seconds. Vortigan kills his wife, but then also Uther, you know, Igraine. And then... Yeah. Even in later in the movie, when Arthur has his like sidekicks, he has these two guys. One of them has a son, but there's no mention of a mother anywhere. She died in childbirth, clearly. And there's no women in this resistance either, except for the mage who doesn't even get the name. And I guess Maggie yeah. counts whoever. Well, she is. there are women that you see in the not speaking in the background of the cave. Were those the prostitutes that he saved that he had to, like, go with him? Maybe? I don't know. I think they just had those actresses. Like, why hire new ones? Well, I know that one of the... The Lady of the Lake is, is Guy Ritchie's wife. Oh, okay. I mean, we saw her hand, so... Sure. No, we saw a couple shots of her, but, like, not that much. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mordred's in this one as the, the baddie they defeat before Arthur's born. Kind of. Yeah. Look, I'm saying like this 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 really doesn't um follow any version of the legend you've ever heard of. Nope. Which I don't mind because I actually like the idea of basically this isn't just King Arthur, he's King Arthur from the streets. Mm. <laughs> he's a lad. I like I actually like that. I think that's a really interesting take to do it. It's very guy Ritchie. But I just felt like a lot of the time it doesn't get to be that because it's tra- it's basically been forced into a more traditional kind of origin story mold, one that Warner Brothers were hoping would basically be like a new Avengers or something. Yeah. And that just doesn't work at all. And it totally it totally jars with the rest of the film that does work. Like when the film is unabashedly fun. Like Man from Uncle is a movie with a Nazi torturer, but it's still a really fun movie. I just kind of missed that. And also like why did this movie cost 175 million dollars? I, mean, I don't there know. There were elephants, and yeah, the elephants were. And the Jubal was like demon dude for a while. Oh yeah, he turns into Skeletor. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what he that's what he killed his wife for to turn into Skeletor for five minutes. That's sad. Which seems like a really disappointing trade. It is. But I never got the sense of him being. Like, truly powerful. Like, we keep hearing that he's getting more and more powerful, and then we see one scene where he's, like, fucking around with fire for a bit. Yeah. But I never really see I him I mean, that's, that's what I mean when he's, he's, like, the whole character and the whole setup of what they were trying to do with him, that was the most disappointing part of the movie. Because I, I feel like nobody really had a good, coherent sense of what they were doing. Oh, definitely, yeah. It, yeah, the other bit that falls down is like, well, do the people know that they're ruled by the usurper? Because apparently everybody knows that Arthur survived, and there's like, but everybody has to line up and try to tug on the sword, <laughs> and then, like they get branded when they failed, so we know like he's not Arthur. So what we have no people who were like, well, the righteous king is the one we're looking for. Like what? That was a sloppy decision to me. Yeah. Like you've, there were hundreds of men there. Assuming that, oh, actually, the the righteous king is going to be there and pull the sword out and everyone's going to see that he's the righteous king, isn't that just going to inspire more devotion towards him because everyone sees it? Yeah. Yeah. I understand that they've got to get this thing done over and, you know, over and done with quickly, but 
this is some sloppy planning. Like, if you're going to sacrifice your family, you should get some much better strategy skills than this. Yeah. Read the Art of War, people. Just... Chinese George probably has a copy. Go go ask him for one, right? Because we Definitely. have a Kung Fu school in in unspecifiedly <laughs> medieval Londinium. I also had to explain to my sister that no, Londinium was actually what it was called. That wasn't just some cool thing that Guy Ritchie made up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she seemed to generally have a good time. We found out we can now buy beer at our local cinema, so... That does, that's always fun. I mean, I usually don't because it's much more expensive. Oh, it uh, was, but we also found out that like if you go at a certain time of the day, they don't even check your tickets. So we could have just like walked in with like, all the drinks we wanted. <laughs> Not that we're advocating that. For some movies. Yeah, right. This would be a really good Friday night on the couch with the beer movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, when this movie comes out on TV, my parents are probably going to have a ball watching this. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the music was a lot of fun. I liked the music a lot. Oh, the music was done by Daniel Pemberton, who did the Man From U.N.C.L.E. score, which was the one with all the jazz flutes. Mm-hmm. Which is such a cool score, you guys. So the next adaptation, I'm kind of walk- working backwards chronologically, and but this one's also recent because I know, Raiden, you just watched like an episode of it. I watched th- I've watched three episodes of it. <laughs> Camelot. I believe it was on Stars? Stars. It was on Stars. It had a lot of Really interesting choices, and it had Joseph Fiennes as Merlin, it had Ava Green as Morgan Le Fay, mm-hmm. and she was great because she's Ava Green and I would watch her in anything. Oh, we had uh, Claire Forlani as Queen of Green, and she and Merlin, I think, had kind of a romance, and we had uh, James Purefoy, aka James Puresex, as Lot. So between Ava Green and James Purefoy having sex on screen, I was somehow supposed to root for the whiniest, douchiest little fuckboy Arthur. <laughs> Jamie Campbell Bauer. Possibly the most unlikable Arthur ever. Yes. You may remember him as uh fuck is his name? Jace in the chat no, um Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Movies. Yes. <laughs> So there is a series of of messages from me in our chat stream of me going, wait a second, this fuckboy Arthur was the kid from the Mortal Instruments movie? What the, how, what, why would you, why, why, why though? He was also in Twilight. Yes, he was. And Harry Potter. Was he? He was young Grindelwald. Oh, okay. So you're supposed to believe that Dumbledore falls in love with that fucker, which is possibly just as believable as falling in love with bloated Johnny Depp. Sure. Like, sure. can Jude Law live, people? <laughs> Could have had you and McGregor, but no. <laughs> yeah, so... Yes. What? Uh, this, this series is so frustrating. Because I do spend a lot of times yelling, mostly Guinevere, what are you wearing? What is this crushed velvet off-the-shoulder asymmetrical nonsense? What is happening right now? Why are you wasting time with this fuckboy? 
And at the moment, since Joseph, and this is not really Joseph Fine's fault, but he's playing the commander in the Handsmaid's Tale, so I want nothing to do with him, <laughs> except to punch him in the throat a lot. So, like, trusting him as Merlin is not something that's really happening. Also, he, you know, he's always been kind of skeevy since we were introduced to him as Robert Dudley and Elizabeth. <laughs> like, that didn't work out very well for anybody. So, like, I just don't, instinctively don't trust his characters. Much like Mark Strong. Um, well, I love Mark Strong. I do. But he, the nose just makes him a bad guy. <laughs> I think he understands that, though. <laughs> he understands. He, he leans into it. It's fine. And Morgan, in this version, is she is Uther's daughter from his first marriage, and her mother died. And then he sends her off to a nunnery. And she comes back, and she's like, I want my fucking inheritance. And he's like, nope. Let me beat the shit out of you. And she kills him. Spoiler. And that kicks off going to find Arthur, having been raised by Sir Ector and with his brother and that whole thing. So, I mean, it's basically Morgan going, these fucking men have caused all of these fucking problems, so fuck all of you fucking fucks. Mm -hmm. And then fuckboy Arthur, unable to keep it in his pants. Boom. Done. Like, <laughs> whatever. And, you know, Ava Green has lovely boobs. I've seen quite a lot of them in three episodes. This was when Stars really wanted to try and start becoming a prestige network. Because I remember when this was announced and it was so much buzz around it and a lot of money. And it wasn't even like a flop. It was pretty consistently watched by about a million people, but it was just too expensive to mount. So they ended up yeah, having to, they canned it after a season. I mean, yeah. Lara Jean Shorostecki's in it. pretty clearly trying to coast along on the Game of Thrones. Had it come out by then? Had Game of Thrones come out? No, this was before yeah. Game of Thrones. Are you I, sure? I want to see. Yes. Same year, but I think this premiered first. Oh, okay. So it would have been in production before... before Alright, well, show. strike that. Well, this is when um, stars are really trying to establish themselves. So around the same time, uh, they did their Spartacus series, which was basically... Spartacus! Uh, then they did um, uh, what you call it, the, the Pillars of the Earth, which is based on that terrible book. I don't know if any of them necessarily took off. It's only been in the past couple of years where stars have really upped their game yeah. with you know stuff like Outlander and American Gods. Yeah, which is very good, you guys. Which is very very good. And the White Princess, which is really very not. <laughs> oh my god. For me, the next one, I guess, walking backwards is Merlin, but it's funny because I didn't start watching Merlin right away, so I actually started Merlin and Camelot at the same time. <laughs> so I kind of had a comparative study of, you know, the stars let us show you Evergreen's boobs because prestige equals boobs. And then Merlin, which was, almost a BBC? Yeah. 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 Which is a BBC TV series and... Obviously, like more PG and aimed, I think, at a younger crowd, and also like, let us use the names of this legend and pretty much nothing else. But I like Camelot. It lasted five seasons. 
Yeah, I have seen, I think, the first four or so. I'm, I'm going to say the first disc of Merlin is back when the only Netflix option was they would mail you DVDs. Um, and I tried to watch the first couple of episodes again, and I just didn't care. I watched four seasons and then the, like the, the uh, premiere of series five and then kind of fell off and, and never went back to finish it. So yeah, it's a lot more aimed at a younger crowd. So it's it's one of those where everybody's played by a young actor, no matter how they're supposed to be. Well, it's kind of like the, the adventures of teenage Arthur and Merlin as, as yep. best friends and sidekicks with Merlin being Arthur's servant. Yeah. But it had Anthony Head as Uther Pendragon. It's so good. So in, 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 in Britain, like Saturday night is the big night for TV, mm-hmm. which I don't think is an American thing at all. And no, this, we're supposed after, to be out and having lives on Saturday night. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> so in the UK, like Saturday night is a big schedule to fill, but it's mostly at this point in time, it's big returning hit millions of people tuned in every Saturday was this is when Doctor Who had returned. So Doctor Who had been there a couple of years, but they need something to fill in between Doctor Who seasons. So Marilyn was their big attempt at that. And it wasn't as critically well received, but it did have really big young fan base. Like the fandom that this thing had online, especially in places like Live Journal, when you know Live Journal was still a thing, were yeah. really fervent. Marilyn Arthur Shippers were frightening. Yeah, everything I know about the show I learned from Tumblr. <laughs> I know Katie McGrath was technically in Tudors, but to me this is how I was introduced to her. Wasn't nice to see Katie McGrath and things before she was just ruthlessly teared apart by dinosaurs because people are terrible writers. It's true, <laughs> but she's excellent on Supergirl. I'm glad that she's still working. Yep. Because it seems like she gets cast in movies and does nothing. And then... It does nothing and then gets killed. I mean, she was a lot of fun on Dracula. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember better... that. I remember when we watched remember that, that crazy ass show. Yeah. <laughs> I am trying to convince Catherine, my co-host and bloodsucking feminist, that we need to do an episode of it. So oh, she yeah. started watching it, and she would send me very long, detailed emails with questions about everything going on in every episode. What? <laughs> it was just what? Why is this happening? Who are these people? Why am I watching this? What is this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> to answer your questions in order, hush. Just go with it until about episode five, and then you don't have to care anymore. Yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> I was I never really got like I feel like Marilyn was really big if you were about thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. So this show started when I was eighteen. So for the people who were between about thirteen and eighteen when this show, you know, to when it ended, I think that this was a really good show for that. But it was also just a case of people just kind of outgrew it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the show tried to grow up a little bit with the audience in the last season. This one, because well, what? Because Arthur's a prince here, so most for most of the show, Uther is still king, and there's no like secret prince or anything. Instead, we have a kingdom where magic's been outlawed, so Merlin is a secret mage, and a servant in Uther's court, and has to like secretly save Arthur from things. Arthur's played by Bradley James, who's pretty cute. Colin Morgan plays Merlin's pretty cute, too. So uh, you can see where the shippers got it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's very much, you know, two young, reasonably attractive white guys with chemistry banter phenomenon. Yeah. (laughs) You you want a fandom? Just do that. 
Guinevere is played by uh, an actress of color. That's nice. Yep. In, in this version, Didn't she start off as like Morgana's maid Trevor. or something. Yeah. So in this one, Morgana is Uther's ward. So she and Arthur are being raised like uh, step siblings, more or less. And she's also a secret mage. And Mordred is there's no like neither straight up nephew, no secret ancestral son. He's just like a kid that they find. And Morgana kind of starts as one of the characters and goes into being an antagonist and then that, I don't know. And Guinevere starts out as her maid and then it, somewhere in the middle there, there's a romance and then by the last season, she's the queen. There is a Lancelot. There's a, he's played by Santiago Cabrera. Ooh. Yeah. He pops in as a guest star and then he, he is set up as somebody Guinevere likes. Like, essentially, Guinevere's choice is... Lancelot, who is also like a peasant who was raised up to be, he, he's elevated to the rank of knight, but he and Guinevere have that in common that, you know, they're, they're peasantry rising through the ranks, so to say, as, as mm-hmm. obviously happened in fantasy medieval Britain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he obviously likes to put her choice between that and Arthur, who may never be able to marry her and, you know, for all, all of that. But, and then she chooses Arthur, and then at some point, I think when Morgana's evil, she raises. Lancelot is like a zombie and sends him back to magically bespell Guinevere so Arthur feels betrayed and he does it was like right before the wedding or right after the wedding but then the wedding happens anyway so like I said in season 5 she's queen okay it's complicated it's like Facebook status it's complicated (laughs) John Hurt plays the voice of the dragon who's mentoring uh, Merlin oh okay I bet that was a pretty easy paycheck for him. You know, we'll send somebody over with a re- with a recorder and just say your lines. And... <laughs> it was fun. It, in the, it's it's like Kaylee said. It's honestly for a younger audience, but I don't know if 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 uh, sometimes I like things that are a little, you know, skew a little younger. If if you it was um it was pretty good. Like it's Britain does a game. CW show. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And I guess that brings us to. Uh, I'm Clive Owen, baby. I know where it is. TM Clear. I have so many questions about this movie. So many. So this is a 2004 King Arthur that was supposed to be historically accurate. I hope you can hear my air quotes. Oh, sorry. Speaking of historically accurate, before we, we're skipping over that Colin Firth last night's last Legion, Legion 13, something Legions of Roman things, right? Everybody okay with that? I yes. didn't watch any of them. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the fun bit. Come on. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. The premise of the 2004 Clive Owens Kira Knightley wears belts around her boobs <laughs> King Arthur movie is this is based on the historically accurate version. However, the historically accurate version is like there are centuries of retellings in the Middle Ages. So you have like the Welsh myths and various British things, and then you get Geoffrey of Monmouth and his history of the Kings of Britain, in which he was just pulling random shit out of his ass. And then you have the French and Chrétien de Troyes and all of that versions, so that's why in this historically accurate movie, which is set at exactly the point at which Rome says, peace out, we're done with Britain, that's why you have a bunch of Arthur's 
knights, even though knights was not really a term at the time, with names like Lancelot and Tristan and Bedivere, and they're fucking French. Only there was no... Ah! And Kira Knightley is a woad, only her name is Guinevere. No. 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 I'm sorry, except no. And she just wears blue, and when she goes into battle, she's wearing a belt around her boobs. I have no answers for you, except what the actual fuck? Also, they photoshopped her boobs to make them look bigger on the poster. Yeah. Like, that's not her. No. Stellan Skarsgård plays a Saxon raider named Sergei. Yes. Tristan and Galahad are Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. <laughs> yes, yes, that part's cool. And we also have uh, Ray Stevenson and uh, Joel Egerton, who has been in literally everything forever. Yeah, and, oh, and, and Ewan Griffith is Lancelot. I feel yes. like if this movie had come out now, this would just be like Internet Boyfriends the movie. Oh yeah, pretty much. Yes. Which I'm not mad at. But this feels like the kind of movie they make now and like, oh, well, we've got to make this story, but we've got to make it dark and gritty. Yeah. Because people are stupid and they'll think it's smart if it's dark and gritty instead of just being bored shitless by it. Right. Bored shitless. And here's the thing with the King Arthur movie and here's the thing with the Troy movie. If you take out the mythology and the gods and the magic and the moistened bents lobbing swords see I didn't even try to pronounce it because now I'm very confused about how to pronounce that <laughs> word thanks Alina <laughs> moistened bents lobby, lobbing swords you have a fairly boring story what makes King Arthur awesome is the magic and the holy grail and all of that shit you take it out and you're like I don't really know why we're here or what's happening it's also really dark and you can't see a lot of what's happening I have a soft spot for this movie because this is the movie that cemented my undying pure and true love for Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, we can all appreciate Stellan Skarsgård, right? We can appreciate Stellan Skarsgård even though, why would the Saxons be landing north of Hadrian's Wall? Why would they be doing that? They'd have to cross a fucking... I mean, granted, the wall is like, only at your knees, but whatever. Because Stellan Skarsgård needs work. He's got a lot of children to feed. (laughs) <laughs> there are hundreds of them and they come and crash on like, his London couch true. I'm just saying like as a military tactic the Saxons landing north of Hadrian's Wall doesn't make a lot of sense why are they landing anywhere weren't they there at that point no this was at the point that the Saxons were invading so the Britons the Romans invaded and the Britons and the Picts and the Celts were all like the fuck do you want and the Britons were like we're not actually all that or the Romans were like we're not actually all that sure pants socks I guess (laughs) (laughs) and then Rome fell and Rome left Great Britain and then the Saxons invaded and the Saxons took over for a while and you have all of like you know Edward the Confessor and uh, all of the Ethel Ethel read the unready and then the Normans invaded in 1066. No, no, you skipped the Vikings in the 800s. I have two TV shows that tell me all about it. The Vikings and the Saxons were kind of contemporaneous. Fine. I'm just saying. 
but the Vikings are sexier. I have two TV shows that tell me so. <laughs> yeah, this just greatly overestimates how much I was paying attention to all of those movies. <laughs> and apparently your own history, but anyway. <laughs> have you, you've not had a Scottish education. We didn't give a shit about any of this stuff. I will, okay, three things about this film. One, Keira Knightley is better than you remember. True. Two, Clive Owen should be a much bigger star, although he is about to be in that Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets movie, which I'm sure is going to be a huge success. He's not playing the character called Jolly the Pimpful, I'm sorry to announce. Oh, okay. Uh, and three, the reason that you're probably familiar with this film is if you have a Tumblr page and you will have seen two screenshots movie where Hugh Dancy says, I've never been fond of killing, and Matt Mickelson says, you should try it someday, you may get a taste for it. And so about 46 fanfics were born. Yes. <sighs> Which, That's you know, true. you go for it, internet. <laughs> also, also, let's plug Cleo Linda's amazing movies and 15 minutes of it. Ah, the yeah. classics. Because it, it has some of my favorites. Including the, 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 the one I quoted to open this, I'm Clive Owen, baby, I know where it is. <laughs> I mean, he does. He looks really good in this movie. Yeah, he, he does. really does. He does. So, yeah, uh, this movie is on Netflix, so if you are, like, cleaning your apartment and you need something on in the background, it's fine for that. It's fine. Yeah, you can walk out of a room for, like, 15 minutes, come back, and not really have missed much. Yep. Yeah. In 1998, let us, let us travel back a century... There was a movie series called Merlin. So Kaylee was like two. I was eight! (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. I remember... That still stings, doesn't it? It does. It does. Nothing about it. And the only reason its existence is known to this universe is... I remember that Helena Bonham Carter was in it as Morgan Le Fay. And there was a whole thing where she, in the beginning, she is ugly, and then magic makes her beautiful, and then she dies and has to not be beautiful anymore in her death. I remember nothing else about it, but then the moment I brought it up, Raiden was like, oh, the Sam Neill one. Sam Neill, Miranda Richardson, Isabella Rossellini, Martin Short, Rutger Howard, James Earl Jones, Lena Headey. Yeah, this was, this was like the, the dying days of the... Of the miniseries event. Like the two or three night miniseries event. Where we got things like the Tenth Kingdom. Yeah, they keep trying to bring that trend back. And I think people are just like, no. No, we have Tiva now. We're fine. That's what Netflix is for. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, remember nothing about this. Remember nothing about it. I'm going to assume with the... uh, Morgan and her servant who have to use magic to be beautiful if this was not trying to be accurate to the legends. But like Rita oh. Hauer makes sense because was he not custom made for these? Like he should be in all the fantasy medieval. Lena Headey is Guinevere. Oh, now I kind of want to track it down because I want to see what the young Lena Headey looks like as Guinevere. Wow. I do remember watching this probably aired when did this air? Exactly. April 26, 1998. Okay, yeah, so this was my... Oh, my freshman year in college. I remember watching it, but... 
Maybe somebody taped it. I didn't have a TV. I do remember watching it, and I do remember, like, the last scene involves Merlin becoming young again because of the sacrifice of Nemu or something. I don't know. Do you pronounce it as Nemu? I always said Nemue. I have friends who had a dog that they named Nemu after the character, so that's what I say. Also, please explain to me how what the connection is between Nimue and Vivian. How are these the same name? Or are they not meant to be the same name? Are they just meant to be the same character that the, like, Thomas Mallory and whoever else can't agree what she's named? This is the Lady of the Lake we're talking about. I think Vivian is sometimes the Lady of the Lake and sometimes not. There's also Nynaeve out of Mallory. I don't know. It's yeah, the le- we'll get to the actual legend proper in the end after the adaptations, because that's got, you know, there's there's a reason these movies are kind of like pick your own adventure. Oh yeah, no, there is no consistent version of anything. Who remembers when Richard Gere was sexy? Oh. Uh, the year is 1995. Yes, Sean it is. Connery's Arthur. Yes, Julia Ormond is Guinevere. And Richard Gere is the first knight. And a very plasticky armor. <laughs> yeah, Richard Gere was Lancelot, people. God, the 90s were weird. I did really enjoy that, like, trailer introduction moment that you put together there, for The year, 1995. <laughs> well, because, you know, Brent and I are old, our memory gets murky at that point. We just know these things existed. Mm-hmm. And now we look back. This one is the one that really makes it about the... Uh, Lancelot, Guinevere, Arthur Triangle, and I feel like this is the part of the story. It's kind of the one that everybody knows, but it's also the one that I think makes it difficult for modern adaptations, with, with the modern sensibilities really wanting that like one true love thing. Mm-hmm. But the Arthur tale isn't like the Guinevere, Arthur, Lancelot, it's not, you know, Guinevere and Arthur were a political marriage arranged because her father was joining this alliance. And the Lancelot Guinevere really, to me, seems to be born out of that chivalric tradition of, uh, like, the platonic love, ideal love for my one ideal lady who I will commit acts in the name of. <sighs> I mean, the, like, the whole concept of courtly love is weird and kind of fucked up. Yeah. I really enjoy the Hark of Agrant mockery of courtly yeah. love. Which is just stop it with you know stop it with the the love songs. I really just want to get laid. <laughs> you don't have to live in squalor. You can live in squalor yeah. with me. <laughs> I've never seen this movie. Don't. <laughs> I honestly don't, I don't remember enough don't. of it to say don't or do. I mean, it's Sean Connery. Are you a fan of Sean Connery? Like I think he's all noble king in this one. So noble king with a you know super young. Julia Ormond is your wife, and then he dies so that Guinevere and Lancelot can get it on without actually cheating. I'd like to point out that Richard Gere is like 15 years older than Julia Ormond, so like it's not like they're of an age. No. I guess they are by medieval standards. I don't know. <laughs> you you want to make sure that your wife is young enough so that she might be able to pop out a couple of kids before she dies in childbirth. Yes, that's true. Let's regress to our childhood. Who remembers the Disney Sword and Stone? 
Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> it had an owl named Archimedes. Yeah. That does feature one of my all-time favorite moments in any film ever, which is where Merlin gets his beard tangled up in the toy plane and then Archimedes laughs at it for about 30 seconds straight. <laughs> and his laugh is just the greatest thing ever. <laughs> he does this long gasp to continue laughing. It is brilliant. That is one of my family's, family's favorite movies. Was this the one... Merlin at the end of this one is like on vacation in Hawaii, right? Like when Arthur's king and then he's like, I don't want to be king anymore, it sucks! And Merlin's like... He goes off to Bermuda. Yeah, like, you called me back from Bermuda for this. Yeah, he's basically, um, a, you know, the time-traveling, wisecracking wizard. Before that was a trope. <laughs> he's constantly complaining about the fact that he lives in a time where running water and plumbing is not a thing. Well, wouldn't you? Understandable. My favorite thing about... One of my favorite things about the film is that there are three different voice actors doing Arthur. And boy, can you tell! They basically hired this kid whose voice broke, so the director like brought in, I think it was his, his sons or his nephews, to just, like fill in. Which is why like accent changes, voice levels deepen and go higher. <laughs> I, don't remember. I, think I, I don't know that I've ever seen it in English. I think I've only ever seen like the Russian dub. Or Oh, there's the... The little squirrel wasn't didn't wasn't Arthur changed into a squirrel and then a little girl squirrel fell in love with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are a number of animal changing scenes because it's Disney. Like this is a really good example of how you Disneyfy a tale, because there are still darker elements, but it's pretty sanitized. Like the fact that there is a wise cracking owl. Well, he's not that wise. He's more just like really pissed off that everyone keeps treating him like a bird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Arthur is a kid through this one. Well, this is based on the T.H. White book. This is based on the Once and Future King, which is about his, you know, the childhood of Arthur. This is a right. big deal in, you know, like British literature. I don't know how it is around the world. I know that lots of, I think that I have read it, but it would have been, you know, as a small child. And everybody has at least had the opportunity to read it. Let's say that. Oh yeah, it's really influential as well. Like if you've it's probably the most influential Arthur telling of the past century. Yeah. Like that's how you get so much of like it's like the King Arthur origin story. So much of it is just like lifted from TH White's book. I wish more would lift the fact that in this version, Arthur's nickname is the Wart. <laughs> Which is always funny to me. If you haven't seen this one, it's only like eighteen minutes long. Go see it. Yeah. Is it on Netflix? Or no, it's Disney. I think Hulu has all the Disney movies, right? You're American. I don't know. Mm. This is where I need to introduce the world to justwatch.com. It's a website that you can customize to whatever country you're in, and it'll tell you which streaming service will. Or you Why know. have you kept this information from us, Alina? I thought you were our friend. I am a bad friend, and I am ashamed. Justwatch.com. One word, no hyphens, or anything. You get to, like, <laughs> filter by streaming service if you just wanted to only search the ones you have, and, uh, yeah, pick a country to make sure it's the one, your country, and it'll it'll, it'll tell you, so you, search for the show, and it'll tell you where to watch it. The more you know. Hmm. So. 
now we come to one I, I kind of skip chronologically. Well, not if you count the book. Well, yeah, because Sword and Stone, the Disney one, is in the 60s. But uh, I actually waffled a bit in how much I want to talk about it. But this was a seminal work for... For a lot of us. For a lot of us. And, and that work is The Mists of Avalon. Yeah. Yeah. So The Mists of Avalon is... It's a book. It was a book first. Um, written in the 80s by Marion Zimmer Bradley. And it's a feminist retelling of the King Arthur story from the point of view of Morgan Le Fay called Morgane in this version. And it's vaguely trying to be true to sort of the, the Celtic influences and the Welsh influences and sort of mushes together a lot of the various disparate origins. And it's it's a long read. Yeah. It took me three tries to actually finish it. I think I've only finished it once. I've started it like five times. I, mean, I thought I always thought that the beginning was way more interesting than and like her training of how she became a priestess of, of how Morgane became a priestess of Avalon was way more interesting than all the rest of this shit. But it's more of a difficult read now that we know that Marion Zimmer Bradley and who was her husband at the time? Uh, so he was, okay. I mean, we're kind of dancing around, uh, but the husband William Walter Breen. Walter Breen, right, was convicted for child molestation. Yeah, um, she was a witness in that trial. She apparently knew that he was raping the young boys and, and didn't care. But what didn't come out until some time after her death, because you know she passed away quite, quite um, in '99, was her children didn't make it public after her death that she had sexually abused them when they were little kids. And uh, I'm going to read a quote. This is all on Wikipedia. Like, it's, it's, it's not hard to find. Her daughter, uh, Moira Grayland, uh, said, I thought that my mother's fans would be angry with me for saying anything against someone who had championed women's rights and made so many of them feel differently about themselves and their lives. I didn't want to hurt anyone she had helped, so I just kept my mouth shut. Which is just the saddest thing. Yeah. So it's hard because it's like I'm saying, this book was seminal in like it may have been one of the first kind of feminist reads for a lot of young women. I remember reading it as a teenager and it did feel kind of like a revelation in that way that you can retell stories in that way and what it meant and what it was trying to say. I didn't find out about these allegations until fairly recently and the last couple of years, I think. And it, it was a deep shock. Mm-hmm. and it's you know it's hard I mean it, it definitely like how do you take away from a work the work may stand on its own but it doesn't it was written by somebody it was written by somebody who did this awful monstrous things and I'm not sure I want to give any of my time to that anymore yeah I mean we, we talk so often about death of the art separating artists from art and all of these things because as, as Clea Linda uh, said once you know I'm, I'm angry that we're constantly having to be put in these positions of yeah. having to defend these things inadvertently or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I totally get, I haven't read her books, but I totally get why Marion Zimmer Bradley is a thing for so many people. And if you can hold on to that, 
Like, if that remains a thing where you can separate the horrific thing she did from the wonderful work, then, you know, more power to you. I don't think everyone else is under that obligation. But I think you have to have that discussion in relation to the work. I don't think you can separate these things. Especially when you hear, like, her def- the defences that she gave to what her husband did and what she did. You know, she talked about... It, she compared it basically to Greek love. Mm-hmm, you know, she yeah. said the pederasty is just what the Greeks did. And that was her defense. And then if you see, well, apparently in her work, there is a lot of May-December relationships involving young women and older men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, yeah, that could just be a coincidence. That could be something much more insidious. If you can separate that, that's fine. I know that for a lot of people, you know, Marion Zimmer Bradley was also a really big deal in terms of, of queer literature. She wrote a lot of lesbian pulp fiction in the 60s which was one of the few outlets that gay women had at that time to see stories where they weren't just, you know, made examples of. Yeah, I, I think this is a, it's one of those discussions that is just so above my level of intellect and understanding and maturity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's just a thing that if, if, if you are a fan of the work I found out later, you just kind of... You know, I don't think there's a right or wrong. You you decide for yourself yeah. how much the work still matters to you and whether even you want to go back and try to see through new eyes and whether anything changes. There was mm-hmm. also a TV adaptation. Uh, in 2001, there was a miniseries starring uh, Juliana Margulies as Morgaine. Yep, and Angelica Houston and Joan Allen. Mm-hmm. And some dudes. So. And I remember, I remember watching that. And... I, I did too. I, I watched it when it came out. I was I'd read the book at that point, and I was uh, yeah. really looking forward to it. And I, I I think I remember I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I kind of have vague recollections of. I didn't remember that Michael Barton played Lancelot. I did remember. I was uh, how old would I have? Sixteen, seventeen, having a mm-hmm. bit of a crush on the man who played Mordred. <laughs> this is a book uh, that really made it about being a woman in a world where only men have power and what power you could have for yourself or take and how you could arrange. Because the, the book is very much, you know, like Mur- Murgain, who's who's the older sister of Arthur and all, uh, right? And yet when he becomes king, she's kind of at his mercy to be married off. Yeah, and it was kind of, uh, for me, it was one of the first books I read where the idea of looking at a well-known story from the female character's point of view was like, oh, wait, this is a thing we can do? Mm-hmm. This is an option? Huh. And that kind of blew my mind. So, I mean, that makes it the whole situation surrounding Marion Zimmer Bradley and the things that she did even more difficult for me. Uh, There's a really good article on uh, the Washington Post by uh, Alyssa Rosenberg, where she talks about what it's like to reread the series after hearing about this case. Mm. Let's look it in the show notes. I will link, but it is, it's clearly something a lot of people have had to, to work on. Yeah. A major content warning if you plan on reading the allegations or reading, particularly reading her statements on it, which mm-hmm. are frankly detestable. Yeah. As you would expect. 
if anyone is smarter than us to have this discussion, <laughs> please welcome. We would welcome it because honestly, a lot of it is just kind of like, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Do we want to go into something cheerier? Yeah. Well, we've we've kind of did our. Oh no, we missed we missed a big one. Oh, Elena. We? we missed the most important one. We missed the most faithful one. Certainly the cheerier one. I am talking, of course, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> the masterpiece. Um, yes, but on second thought, let's not go there. <laughs> I do prefer Life of Brian. I will admit that. Life of Brian makes me laugh more. But I do remember the first time I saw Holy Grail with my dad, who is a big Monty Python fan, and genuinely being confused by the opening credits. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think there's something on dad. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Like, even if you haven't seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you've almost certainly been exposed to it through cultural right. osmosis. Especially if you are in nerd cultures. Oh, yeah. Like, you will know half of the jokes in this, even if you haven't seen the film. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you. But a lot of it is also just much weirder than you remember. Because yes. it is Python, and also Terry Gilliam is doing all the illustrations. It's just a flesh wound. It's <laughs> only a model. It's only a model. <laughs> I, I do remember being annoyed at the ending the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had my dad explain to me, no, literally, they did that just because they ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there's no horses in the film. They just ran out of money. I remember seeing and watching for the first time. I've already been kind of exposed to the joke, so I kind of felt like, well, I want to see because I want to really understand where it came from. And yeah, that ending is a little like, huh? Abrupt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who here has uh, seen a staging of Spam a lot? No, I've heard no. this the uh, recording. I haven't seen it. I, I have. Uh, it came to Toronto. This was a few years back. Uh, so yeah, my husband and I got tickets when it was in Toronto. It was really good. So much fun. My favorite line, I guess, for obvious reason is, oh, why didn't you tell us you were Jewish? It's not the kind of thing you say to a heavily armed Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the moment where he looks out, that one of the guys looks out the window and starts singing. He goes, stop that, stop that. You're not going to do any singing while I'm here. <laughs> and also Tract of Land, which is quoted a lot in our <laughs> circle of friends. The musical is fun. I don't know if is it still on any like is is the production? It's not. Right? I think it's touring. Is it? It's it quite regularly tours. It is one that. Oh god. Oh god. Can we tangent for a second, please? Sure. sure. So Universal are calling their monsters reboot the Dark Universe, and they've just confirmed that Johnny Depp's going to be in it. No. As what? Something invisible dead. man. Huh? That doesn't uh, make it any better. The fact that we <laughs> don't have like to look at story figures covered in this sheet. That's bad enough. Why? Because we don't get fun things. We don't get nice things. Apparently. Well, Kaylee, didn't you say that men being accused of assault and abuse would ruin their lives? Oh. <sighs> Nope. Can we go back to quoting Monty Python? Swallows. Mm. I don't remember the swallow quote. Who remember the question? No, it's your favorite color. 
a moose bit my sister once. <laughs> Where the knights of say me? Okay, well, we can sit here and do that a lot. I want a shrubbery. <laughs> not a nice one. Not too expensive. And of course, you've been potent it all night with the with the moist and bent lobbing scimitars. Yep. It's no system. For, I didn't vote for you. You manky Scots get is a good line. Mm. <laughs> I'm just gonna go to IMDb for a moment because. I'm really sad about that Johnny Depp news. <laughs> I need some cheering up. <laughs> I mean, we could just, like, me, me and my dad can just quote, particularly Life of Brian, but generally Monty Python, and go to Stitches of Laughter, and my mum doesn't find it funny. Oh, I'm sad for her. There's only one bit in the whole of Life of Brian that makes her laugh, and it's a moment where Michael Palin dances around a pile of camel poo, and that's it. Okay. And the line where he, uh, Brian says, "There's just no pleasing some folk," and he says, "That's just what Jesus said, sir." <laughs> that's that's it. That's the only time she laughs. Oh, I am your king. I didn't vote for you. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Lance. The songs are really good. The songs are very good. Uh, you won't succeed on Broadway is brilliant. My dad, when my dad was um, a kid, him and my uncle used to have the LP, and it was basically like the songs and just random quotes from Monty Python films. <laughs> so it had like songs from Holy Grail and Life of Brian. I had like, oh, always look on the bright side of life. And then just different quotes from that movie, like the whole, I have a very good friend in Womb scene, which my dad can to this day recite by memory. Aw, it's adorable. And I realized this must just be like a gender divide in my family, except for me, because all of the men on both sides of my family find Monty Python hysterical. And I seem to be the only woman that finds it funny. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. Because apparently when my, my um, grandparents first got together, when Monty Python was, you know, on TV and things, my granddad would go into hysterics of laughter watching, like, the Minister of Silly Walks and things, and my grand would just sort of sit there stony-faced. <laughs> but then again, my grand finds Mrs. Brown's voice funny, so she's not one to trust. No, fair enough. Americans don't know what that is, and you're lucky. <laughs> yes, but we inflicted Adam Sandler on the world, so sorry. Eh. I mean, John and Depp's your fault as well, so yes. Canadians have done nothing of the sort. We are perfect. Isn't Justin Bieber yours? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So what I kind of wanted to roundtable about after we, we've ran through some of the adaptations is uh, what do we think is kind of the history of why is King Arthur so enduring? Um, I think it's because, I mean, it's, there are like centuries of material to work with and it's, it gives a, a hero for Britain in general, like, like the Arthurian thing, the whole thing is like the matter of Britain. This is what made Britain, Britain. Um, but without all of that nasty actual history stuff involved, you know? Oh, no, no. You don't I, have to worry I, about shit like colonialism and stuff when you have that myth, which is nice. Yeah. Um, like, there, there's something in it for everyone. There's the kid who grew up humble and then pulled a sword out of a stone and... Here you go, you get to be king and you turn out to not suck at it for a while. For a while. And 
you have your knights who go off and and have crazy wacky adventures um some of them are really funny and some of them are just kind of ridiculous and there's holy grail there's there's just a lot of material to work with and we haven't mentioned this but this is so enduring that even sci-fi shows you know babylon 5 and um stargate as you want like a lot of them have arthur inspired episodes that somehow manage a way to to bring him into this mm-hmm. well, it's, it's the same reason that everything gets rebooted and every you know every familiar property is now getting its own like expanded universe franchise it's a familiar name it gets asses in the seats well the, yeah. in, in in the abstract it gets asses in the seats as we saw from king arthur this past fortnight not always the case no. but it's not also always not gonna kill it we know that okay let's say this king arthur flopped there's gonna be another king arthur at some point yeah oh yeah i mean it's ultimately this is just gonna be written off as kind of like a bit of an oopsie all the people involved are going to be fine because it's primarily straight white men. <laughs> like, Charlie Hunnam's going to be okay, guys. Uh, Guy Ritchie's about to do the Aladdin film for Disney, which I have Makes feelings, feelings about. <laughs> like, because I really like Guy Ritchie movies, but like, was Mira Nair not available? She just yeah. made a film for you guys and you like didn't want to give her a call? Mm. But it is going to be a musical. Okay. Sure. You know how there was like that 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 forty hour period where Mulan wasn't going to be a musical and everyone revolted. Yeah, <laughs> it has the greatest song in the history of Disney songs. Come on, it's true. The greatest sing along. The other thing about King Arthur is, you know, the the king that was promised, but I guess I can kind of see, especially in uh, these troubled times of politics, like the pitfall of democracy is that. Uh, you know, you have this choice. And what happens when you make the wrong one? And the I don't think... I I think most of us are not kind of pro-monarchy in theory. I don't know. At least in, from the Western perspective, I don't know that there's a lot of people left to really believe kind of in monarchy. In absolute monarchy, you mean? Right. But there's something very relaxing about the idea that there could be just like this one perfect king and everything would be fine. Yeah, he'll. He's just asleep. He'll wake up when you know things get really bad, right? So King Arthur's not awake yet, so things aren't really, really bad. Sure. No. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a weird series in that it asks you to root for, like, an absolute monarchy. <laughs> Like, you know what, democracy can take a time out for a moment. You guys seem to know what you're doing, you know? Yeah. That'd be nice. I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was it was all conceived at a, at a point where absolute monarchy was sort of your option. Everything else had sort of fallen apart at that point. And there weren't too many examples of... of Western um, governments that that weren't absolute monarchies. And sure, sure, the Greeks sound great in the abstract, but then you, know, you have to get involved in this, this whole voting thing. It's very complicated. So when it comes to Arthurian adaptations, I would say we kind of came to it as discussing, but I think we kind of all agreed that, look, 
trying to dress it up as real history and taking away the magic is probably not going to work. It's not going to work, no. You need, you need to embrace Merlin and both swords. Okay, for, for the other people who are annoyed by this in every adaptation, but Excalibur and Sword in the Stone, two different swords. I got you back. Everybody eh. who cares about this kind of thing. Eh. I care. I care about this every time it comes up. Two different swords. Eh. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the stone part of the sword in the stone, did anybody think in the, that this uh, this King Arthur movie was a little weird that the stone was essentially Uther's corpse? Yeah. Yeah, that was like, maybe that's why the budget was so high. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was slightly squeaky that it turns out he yanked it out of his dad's spine. Yeah. He didn't seem that fussed about it either. No. no. Look, look. It had really fun bits, and I still hold all of y'all responsible for the fact that I'm not getting six Charlie Hunnams as King Arthur. It's true. You can, though, however, go and see Charlie Hunnam in the Lost City of Z. Or Zed, if you're annoying. Which is very good. Was it? Okay, was I really it? like James Gray movies, so I was, you know... I think the pacing is horrendous. and I The think pacing was horrendous. The vague attempts at... Look, we're uh, less racist, seriously. Was it I was great? sad that like Sienna Miller, who's an actress I haven't really thought much of, but mm-hmm. she's really good in this, but her role is so nothing. Yeah. But there's a lot of it that is very beautifully shot. I think Robert Pattinson is very good. Yeah, he I was good. It, I, I, I'm I here for our Pat's mo- mountain man. He's very good with that beard, actually. The beard and glasses, I thought, worked with him. Uh, I really enjoyed, like, I thought, I, I really appreciated how it kind of showed that, you know, you can understand that what you are doing is basically colonialism and you can paint it as well-meaning and earnest, but you're still a colonialist. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. I appreciated Dudley Dursley popping up for like two scenes. Yep. Um, it's yep. not my favorite James Gray movie. I understand why it's now his most successful, but if you want to watch a really good movie, have him go watch Two Lovers, mm. which is a super depressing romantic drama, but it's very good. Yeah. We're talking um, about the director? Yeah, James Gray. Uh, basically, he's like an American director who's more famous in France. He's like Jerry Lewis, but really serious. He used to make, uh, he made a film called The Immigrant, which Harvey Weinstein wanted him to change the ending for. He refused, so Harvey Weinstein basically dumped the film on like a one-week release and then didn't give it any promotion. Mm-hmm. And now James Gray is like letting everyone know how much he hates Harvey Weinstein, but now he's got Brad Pitt on his side as a producer, so he's got like that, that sweet Brad Pitt money. He can say all that stuff now. I will say Lost City of Zed has a beautiful closing shot. Yes, that was great. That was excellent. I mean, if you're looking to see, like, can Charlie Hunnam actually act? Like, yeah, give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> but I could, if there, there are other indies out there that you should go see instead. Like, go see The Handmaiden. Or go see Jackie. Or, or just go see King Arthur. Just go enjoy yourself. Just yeah, go see King Arthur. Fun. Have some fun. Have some fun. <laughs> yes, don't go see The Circle. For the love of God, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Was it as stupid as I imagined it was going to be? More. Because the book is pretty stupid. Way more dumb. You know, for the the kind of actors that are in it, I'm surprised I didn't see more marketing for that movie. It just kind of, I saw one trailer and I was like, there's a movie with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson? You'd think I would have heard more about it. 
I mean, I saw the trailer a lot, but it was all the same trailer. And I think I saw some ads. But, hey, Wonder Woman is opening in a week and a half. So, go And it's that. apparently good, you guys. Yeah. Like, I just needed it to be decent. And it's apparently good. Maybe even really good. We have a hope. What's It'll coming like- out this summer that we're looking forward to? We did a whole episode on this. I know, but I forgot. <laughs> I mean, Baywatch opens this week, actually. That is up against Pirates 5. I am curious to see how the most beloved and highest paid man in Hollywood goes up against Pirates. Yes, guess which one is getting my money. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say that, like, Zac Efron in that movie is, looks so muscly that it looks like it's hard to move. <laughs> he seems to be struggling to, like, lift his arms by his head. <laughs> it's... It, I will say, Zach Efron as Ted Bundy is pretty good casting. Yeah. I'm curious to see how that goes. Although, I, I don't think I'll watch it, because, like, I really don't like... T- I, I like true crime, but I don't like Ted Bundy true crime. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, uh, Taika Waititi's entry into the MCU, Thor Ragnarok, is this year, so... Is that summer? Is it not? That's fall. I think this is November. Spider-Man Homecoming is summer. Thor Ragnarok is fall. Mm. Black Panther is next February. Oh, I believe for Ragnarok, is it not coming out like the week before uh, Justice League? (laughs) (laughs) Troll level expert. I just, yeah, I mean, blockbuster wise, there is, there there do look like there are things to enjoy. I'm mostly just watching what's happening at Cannes. Mm -hmm. I want to see which film is going to get the Cannes boo. Yeah. (laughs) The Killing of the Sacred Deer got booed, but the reviews were also really excellent. So, like, come on, I want the train wreck, but I don't want it to be any of the films I'm rooting for. Mm. What are you rooting for? Uh, I'm rooting for Sofia Coppola's new movie. Yeah. You know, Vengeful Bitches. I'm rooting for Lynn Ramsey's new movie, because she's Scottish and wonderful. It's called You Were Never Really Here. It's playing okay. on the final night. Uh, I would like the Polanski movie to be the big bad one. Because, <laughs> like, fuck all of you for still supporting Polanski. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested to see how... Well, I was I, I was thinking the big one that was going to get booed was going to be how to talk to girls at parties, but that seems to have been pretty positively reviewed. It's about a group of aliens who land in, I think, Shoreditch in England and help to lead a punk rock revolution. Mm-hmm. It's based on a Neil Gaiman short story. It's a good year for Gaiman! There's no vagina eating in that one, from what I understand. Oh, okay. Well... <laughs> If you haven't watched American Gods, guys... And don't worry, we will talk about it. You didn't think this podcast was going to forget about American Gods. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll talk about American Gods. Uh, speaking of Brian Fuller, by the way, uh, his start, the Star Trek show that he was working on got a trailer. If anybody missed that. I love how everyone has just been, like, almost too kind to ask Brian Fuller about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know he got, he got asked about it a couple days ago, the Vulture TV Fest. He was interviewed by Matt Zoller Sites, and they were given flower crowns to talk about it, and he did say that the trailer looked really good. But, you know, you could see his arm sort of gripping harder and harder into the chair as he said that. Aww. I was very jealous when a number of my friends did go to the Vulture Fest. It was like 90% women, and they were all wearing flower crowns. Aww. They gave one to Matt Zoller Sites. <laughs> so if you check out his Twitter page, he's wearing one. It's very cool. Have you guys seen American Gods yet this week? Not this uh, week, Not this no. week's yet. If you haven't watched the show and you've been kind of tentative to do so, because I know that there are some people who really didn't like the book because of Shadow. What? 
What? Like, there are people who just do not like Shadow Moon as a character, so they don't like the book for that. Why? Which I get, because he's kind of a cipher in the book. Episode 4 is all about Laura, and I think you get a much better understanding of, of Shadow in that, but it is all Laura, and it's great. Yeah. It does feature Dane Cook, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Well cast, boy, if you know where his character ends. Uh, also, Twin Peaks premiered. I haven't seen that one yet either, but that's going to be another thing to watch. Uh, the, re- the revival, I believe the premiere was last night. It was. I know people who actually, like, watch Twin Peaks. I'm not. One of I've never watched Twin Peaks, so <gasps> I'm... I'm sorry. I just... Such a cultural touchstone, how could you? I think a lot of people Who's... haven't seen Twin Peaks, but kind of think that they have, which is just a very Lynchian way to live. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen Twin Twin Peaks, and I don't think that I have. I think I'm okay. I'm just as sane as you are. No? Okay. From what I understand, it may be hard to jump into the new season without at least having a decent knowledge of what happened in the previous two seasons. But I feel like that would just make it more fun as well. (laughs) Also, I am waiting to watch it in broad daylight with the doors locked. (laughs) Which means I'm going to watch it tomorrow because I have to wake up early tomorrow because I would like to sleep. I mean, it, I'm almost kind of stunned that it's actually here. Yeah, it it's 2017, and there's a new Twin Peaks series on TV. Yeah, it's a, it's a I mean, weird old world we live in. Fascinating, you know? Yeah. All right. Does that pretty much wrap everything up? I think it does. I mean, look, if you want to read variations on the King Arthur myth, modern ones. There are approximately 500,000. Mary Stewart has one of the good ones. But there are approximately 500,000. I think Bernard Cornwall has some. The Last Kingdom was sort of his trip into that. I'm not sure. But, you know, by all means, tell us your favorite. Um, If you want to attempt to defend the Clive Owens King Arthur and its shitasticness, come at me, bro. You're wrong, but you're entitled to your opinion. But you're wrong. So I think that covers episode 56. Yeah, if you want to just come like lament about this dark universe nonsense on Twitter, you can come do that too. I need people to lament with, to be honest. Dark universe. So there's this bullshit. So we'll be back at you next month where we might be talking about American Gods. Shall we just talk about American Gods next month? Yeah. I think there'll be enough of, to talk about at that point. Mm-hmm. And maybe other things game-intastic, perhaps. Right. Or mythology. Or something. The continuing butchering of Russian words on American we'll TV. We'll talk about that, yeah. <laughs> Alina has some thoughts. <laughs> We have blood coming out of her ears. Pain <laughs> hurts so bad. Why do the things I love hurt me the most? <laughs> All right, so we'll be back at you next month. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Anglofees. I made a fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to 
anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.